Good morning, everyone. My name is Craig, and I'm one of the elders here at Christchurch Albany, and I'm really excited to be uh, with you guys this morning, and uh, I hope that you guys had a great and wonderful Christmas uh, with your family and friends or anyone that you were able to connect with, because I truly believe that this is the most wonderful time of the year. Um, but as I begin, I want to say this to everyone. If no one has told you that they love you today, just know that I do. Um, I've shared this before, but I remember the first time that I heard someone actually say that. Uh, it was a graduate of a program that I was work, uh, working with at before, and uh, he was speaking to current participants in the program and the staff. And, you know, the thing that was strange to me is that he's saying this to a group of people that most of which he didn't have a relationship with. He didn't really know them too well. And, but as I heard him say it, it, it was, there was no doubt that he actually meant that. That was not just words or things he was saying, which made it even more weird for me uh, because when I think about love, generally speaking, uh, love is something that often happens over time because of a relationship. Uh, even with uh, family, maybe it's a little different because it's family, but normally it takes time. It takes uh, trust being built and things happening in the relationship that builds or kind of earns love towards another person. Uh, and that's not what was happening in this situation. Uh, this is a person I was saying that every single time, every single time he spoke to the group, that's what he said to them, that he loved them. Um, and if you was to ask him, why would he say that every time? I, I believe he would tell you the reason why he says that is because he's trying to do his best to love people the way that God loves him. Uh, and that's what we've been talking about over this last uh, few weeks, this idea that God loved the world. And what he did because of that. Uh, we've been looking at John 3 16 uh, and John Ali pastor has been working us through that that verse uh, and it's uh, one of the most famous I would say scripture in the Bible uh, and it says John 3 16 for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believed in him should not perish but have eternal life. And I believe that this is such a, a important and known verse because of what it symbolizes. It, in and of itself, is the gospel message. It's the message of what Jesus did for us as he went and came to this earth. And when you realize uh, just how profound this all is, uh, it it's really impacts your life. And if you missed any of what John shared about that, I would invite you to go back and listen to the last few messages. But uh, today I want to share with you what um, comes after John 3.16. Um, when you read John 3.16, it should leave you with a tremendous amount of joy and excitement and hope and love. But there's another side of this that God wants us to fully understand as well. Uh, so we're going to be looking at John 3, 17 through 21. So we're going to read it all together, uh, all in one, and then we'll come back and unpack it uh, verse by verse. And so reading it together, John 3, 17 uh, says, For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but so that the world might be saved through him. The one who believes in him is not judged. 
The one who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name this son, the only son of God. And this is the judgment that light has come into the world and people of the darkness rather than light for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light so that his deeds will not be exposed. But the one who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds will be revealed as having been performed in God. All right, so let's start off in verse 17 and we'll start to unpack this. So it says, for God didn't send his son into the world to judge the world. Um, so let's stop there for a second. And so as I read that, uh, it makes me wonder, why did John record that after everything he shared in verse 16 already? Uh, there could be a lot of different reasons why uh, that was important to, to state. Uh, maybe it was because if you were a Jew reading at that time, it would have been a statement that would have been shocking for him to say. Uh, the, the Jews at the time expected that a Messiah would come and would judge the world. They were looking for a conquering Messiah, the, the one that was going to come and uh, right all the wrongs that was happening to them because of their oppression by Rome and restore Israel to its former glory. They were looking for God to judge the world, everyone except for, for them, uh, non-Jews. Uh, and this would have been a shocking statement that he didn't come, Jesus didn't come to judge the world, meaning everybody, uh, anybody at all. Uh, and that's maybe one reason why he put it there. And he wanted that to be crystal clear to whoever was reading it. Uh, but how this verse kind of hits me is this idea that I have about God and about Jesus. Uh, this idea that when Jesus shows up in my life, his desire is to let me know how bad I'm doing, what things I got to work on, what things is wrong in my life, and highlight all of that stuff and say, hey, fix it. Um, and the message version of this verse actually says that God did not go to the trouble of sending his son to point an accusing finger telling the world how bad it was. Uh, seeing God was something that I've struggled with uh, all my life in one way or another to seeing him as someone that is the, the as John talked about earlier, uh, the policeman the, the, that's there to just accuse and, and say what I'm doing wrong. And uh, when looking back on my life, one of the things I realized is some of my interactions with people in my life kind of led to that way of thinking. Uh, a lot of the times when I've had any interaction with that person, it was a lot of times negative about things I wasn't doing right and things I needed to do better with. And somehow I translated that to my picture of God as well. But the point of this verse is to really show me um, how ridiculous thinking about God that way really is. Uh, so I, I was trying to come up with a mental picture of how to describe why I said that it's ridiculous. Uh, and this is what I came up with. Uh, the image I have in my head, and maybe it's because I work in a courtroom or a courthouse. Um, I'm about to head to work, that's so why I'm dressed like this. But um, Maybe it's because of that. I don't know. But here's what I picture in my head, um, that someone uh, was on trial uh, for some type of crime. 
and it's worked its way up to the highest level of court there is. And there they sit uh, in front of a panel of judges uh, and the evidence is presented against them and it is incriminating uh, against them. And right before a judgment is made, a final verdict is given, one of the judges stands up, takes off their robe, and it comes down off the bench and comes and sit with you at the defense table. Now, we have to understand that a judge is not a judge because they wear a robe or they sit on a bench. It's a position that they have regardless. But you have to understand if you're seeing them and they don't have the robe and they're not on a bench, at that time, they may not be operating in that capacity. Which not to say that they're still not a judge. It just means they're not operating that way at that time. And so when we look at Jesus as he came down, he didn't come to judge the world, but it wasn't as if he was incapable of doing that. He no longer had the ability to do that because he did. Uh, look in uh, John 5. It says, for as the father has life in himself, so he granted the son also to have life in himself. And he gave him authority to judge because he is the son of man. See, but what we see here is that he intentionally chose not to operate in that capacity as he came here. That is not why God sent him. And so how absurd would it be for a judge in real life, a judge to come down off the bench, to sit at the defense table, and then pronounce their judgment to you from there. It would make absolutely no sense. They might as well have just stayed on the bench if their intention was to pass judgment on you. And in the same way, if Jesus's intention was to judge us, he would not have needed to come. He could have done that from where he was in heaven. He didn't need to come here to come down face to face to us to judge us. And so Jesus's purpose was not to judge the world. So why did he come? Continue on verse 17. For God did not send his son in the world to judge the world, but that the world should be saved through him. And through him indicating that he will be the thing moving us from where we are now to salvation. And he had every ability to judge the world, but instead he came to save it. And that strikes me as ironic when you look at the life of Jesus. In the book of Matthew, chapter 3, it says that Jesus went into the wilderness preparing for ministry for 40 days. And he was tempted by the devil three different ways. But when you look at them, they all point to the same type of temptation. And it's the same temptation that Jesus faced when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane before he was arrested. It appears that throughout his life, Jesus was tempted to make this life he was living here about himself, about him, about what he wanted, that he didn't have to suffer. He didn't have to live uncomfortably the way that he was living. He could enjoy the spoils of being the son of God and all that he was here and now and forget about why he really came to this earth. And time and time again, we see Jesus in his actions saying, no, it's not about me. And in Matthew 27, it tells the story of Jesus' death on the cross. And while he was on the cross, people were mocking him, insulting him. And here's what they said in Matthew 27. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, 
You are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days. Save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the son of God. See, Jesus had every ability to judge the world and every ability to save himself. But what we see in Jesus' actions or inactions in this moment is a really, really important point. He's saying to them and to the world and to us that you want me to prove that I am the son of God, that I am who I say I am by saving myself. No, it's not about me. Instead, I'm going to prove who I am by staying on this cross, suffering and dying because I'm here to save you, not myself. I'm here to do what my father sent me to do because God so loved the world that he gave his son. Let's continue on to verse 18. It says, the one who believes in him is not judged which is a restatement of John 3, 16 in itself. Uh, but then he goes on to say this. The one who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And, and this is an important piece to understand. What does it mean that it says that we are judged already? Uh, looking back at this uh, scenario that I painted of a person on trial and the judge taking off the robe, coming down off the bench and sitting at the defense table with you. But as he came down, he knew something that you did not. He knew that if he didn't intervene, if he'd remained where he was, your fate would have been sealed. You would have been found guilty. And even coming down off the bench, he knew there was no new evidence that he could present, no new uh, evidence that's going to shed light and really show that you are not guilty. He knew that the evidence was too clear that you were guilty for that. Too clear for him to do or say anything in that moment that was going to change that. But the judge knew that there was only one thing that was going to actually lead and ensure that you would be found not guilty. Someone had to pay for these crimes. So as he's sitting there at this defense table with you, he turns and faces the other judges and says, here and now, I want it to be understood and known whatever crimes this person has been charged with and accused of doing, I did them. I confess that it's, it's me, I did it. I'm the one that you want. And whatever consequences that comes from being found guilty of these crimes, I'm gonna take them on not this person, it's me. And in the same way, Jesus did not come down to this earth to judge us, but he also did not come down here to tell us that everything was fine, uh, that we're not so bad, that you know we do you know okay and nothing to worry about here, uh, that all you need to do is just be more good than bad and everything will be fine. He didn't come to say that either. He didn't come to say that our sin would not lead to eternal consequences because they, they will. And he knew that. Our sins has already led to our judgment of being found guilty. And he knew that someone had to accept the consequences of that guilt, that sin. And he offers himself in our place 
by dying on the cross. But this is not where the story ends. This judge, after making this statement to the other judges, he then looks over to you, leans in and says, I need you to get up. And, and you're confused. Like, well, well, this is where the defendant sits. And he says, I know. That's why I need you to get up. Because whoever's sitting in that seat is going to be found guilty. And in order for me to do this for you, you need to get up and let me sit there in your place. See, Jesus has already done his part with this sacrifice of his life. He made a way for us to be found now guilty, to be set free because, by the, uh, from the consequences of our sin. The part we play is we need to say yes and accept his offer. And as the verse says, if we do not do that, we don't accept his offer, we have to understand that the guilt from our sin will just remain on us. So we are now not found guilty due to our sin, but because of our unwillingness to accept this offer that Jesus has given us to take our place. Accepting that Jesus is who he says he is and that we need him to save us. But the truth is, we don't always accept this. There are people in my life, maybe people in your life, maybe someone watching this now that has not accepted that, that has heard this uh, and said, no, I, I think I'm okay. And there's a lot of reasons why people can make that decision and ex uh, not accept. Uh, and John records one of the big reasons, uh, at least according to Jesus, that that can happen. Uh, moving on to verse 19. And this is the judgment, or the verdict, that light has come into the world, referring to Jesus, and people love the darkness rather than light, for their deeds were evil. Uh, uh, there are two words that I want to kind of highlight in this, uh, judgment and light. Uh, judgment is a word meaning coming to a decision of what is true based on the evidence that's presented. Uh, so it's being used here, it's saying that this is the truth based on the fact that light or Jesus has come into the world. And this use of the word light here is interesting to me uh, because we've said multiple times already that Jesus didn't come to judge the world. And use of the word light for me is indicative of that. Uh, light is not a judgment, but instead it's a revealer of truth. When light is shined into the darkness, it reveals what has already been there, but just we couldn't see because it was too dark. As Jesus came, he revealed truth. And revealing truth is not the same as judging what's there. It's just acknowledging or revealing what is there. And so he revealed truth about us and about his Father. Truth about our need for salvation and the path that he provides that leads us there. The truth that we are all sinners. We all fall short of the glory of God. And our natural bent is away from him and the way he would have us live. And because of that, we love darkness and not the light. And this is honestly a hard pill to swallow. Uh, it's been a hard pill 
to swallow in my life. Uh, as I look out by the world standards, by my standards, there are some really, really awesome people in this world. Generous, kind, loving, trying to do their best to be good towards other people and themselves. But as I read the Bible, as good as people can be, and there's some phenomenal ones in this world, it just doesn't measure up. It doesn't, we can't be good enough to earn our salvation. We can't be good enough to override the bad that's there in us already. But if that's true, if that's true, then it's also true that when the Bible says that God loves us, that he does. That despite all of that being true, he loves us anyway. And so much. So much that even sending his son to die in our place wasn't too much of a sacrifice for him so that he can have a relationship with us in the way he wants again. And that is good news. That is great news for us. But rather than accept that uh, as true, it says that people love darkness instead. But why do we love darkness, really? Uh, so this takes us to the rest. Uh, verse 20, for everyone who does evil hates the light. It does not come to light so that his deeds will not be exposed. But the one who practices the truth, who is actively living according to the truth Jesus reveals, that person comes to the light, lives authentically, not in denial, not in the darkness, following Jesus. And so that his deeds will be revealed as being performed in God. Why do we love darkness? Because it hides the things that we are doing. When are most crimes committed? At night. Why? Because it's harder to get caught in darkness. And we can get away with all types of things in the dark and sometimes things that we're not even very proud of, but we can get away with them if there's not a lot of light to shine on that. And darkness also helps us to stay in denial about the impact of our decisions and the actions we're taking. This is why we hate the light and love darkness. And this is not to say that uh, we're not drawn to some of these things that we know are evil or wrong, uh, because we are. They're very tempting. They're very appealing. That's the point. Um, but the point of this scripture is that for some of us, one of our worst fears is having something that we've been doing or something about ourselves exposed for everyone to see. And we try really hard to cover it up. I know I do. I try to cover that stuff up as much as possible uh, to make sure that no one that we believe will judge us for whatever this is gets to see it or know about it because the truth is we're comfortable with some people knowing some stuff about us because they're in the same boat with us but other people we worry about them knowing about it um, but here's the thing once our actions are revealed once they're exposed we don't usually handle that too well uh, we blame we deflect uh, we get angry, full of shame and guilt. Uh, all in all, though, once our actions, our behaviors are revealed, we can no longer be in denial about the truth about ourselves. 
And that reminds me uh, of a story early, early in the Bible, the book of Genesis. Uh, Genesis 3 tells the story of Adam and Eve in the garden. Things were beautiful. Things were perfect. And God just gave them one command. Do not eat from this tree of knowledge of good and evil. And it says that they were tempted. And it was basically said, hey, I know God said that, but it's fine and you, it's, it's good for you. And they saw the fruit was good. It was good to eat. And so they ate it. And then they realized at that moment right away that they were naked for the first time. And so what they did is they made, they sewed together fig leaves to cover themselves. And when you think about it, that's the state that we find ourselves a lot, even as Christ followers. When something happens that shines light into some of the things going on in our lives, our first response is to try and sew some fig leaves together to cover it up. We try to fix it ourselves in many different ways of trying to deal with that situation to realizing that our nakedness is exposed and so we need to find some way to keep that hidden. And I've done that too many times to, to even name. Uh, and that's my natural instinct at times to do, even now. But here's the interesting part of the story for me. It says that they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees in the garden. And then God called out to the man and said, where are you? And the man says, I heard you, the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid myself. Now what's crazy to me in that story is that they didn't feel the need to hide in the bushes until they knew God was coming. Before he came, they just tried to cover it up with their own devices, the best they knew how, and it was good enough. But because he was approaching, they wanted to hide in darkness, not be, to not be seen at all. And their little coverings that they created, it didn't seem adequate enough to hide their nakedness. And what's even crazier is that they knew that God knows everything. So why did they bother hide in the first place? It makes you wonder, why do we do the same thing? So God calls them out of hiding. And it's not for the purpose of finding out what they did, because he knew that already. Um, so why did he call them out of the light, into the light? Well, part of that is for them to acknowledge what they've done, which they kind of did. They did some deflecting and blaming, but they did. And then God gave them and told them what their consequences are going to be because of that. But the other part of what happened is what we see in verse 21, chapter 3. It says that the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. So even though they had sinned and brought consequences on themselves, God showed and extended grace to them by giving them proper covering. But we don't see Adam and Eve saying, you know what, um, I'm good. I think these fig leaves are fine. They, they hit and cover all the, the important stuff, so I think we're okay. Uh, I tell you, uh, wearing some fig leaves personally is 
not okay in the least. It's, it's far from okay. Uh, it does not do the trick. And so here it is. <laughs> they accept this covering from God, this new covering. And consider the covering. What is it made out of? It's made from skin. Whose skin? Some type of animal at the time. So very, very beginning of all of this, in order for them to have proper covering, something had to be sacrificed. Something had to die. Blood had to be spilled. And in the same way for us to get proper covering for our sin, blood had to be spilled. Someone had to die. And so Jesus is not calling us to light to judge us and tell us how bad we are or how messed up our lives are. He's calling us out to cover us properly with himself so we can walk out in the light unashamed of our sin, unashamed of our past because we are covered by Jesus and his sacrifice for us. So before we take communion together, uh, I just have two things that I want to, to, to share. First is this, someone watching here today, uh, this may be exactly where you are. Uh, maybe this is your first time hearing the gospel message. Uh, maybe this has been many times you've heard before. Uh, but either way, right now, right now you can make a decision to do something different because you need to know that God loves you so much and he's calling you and he's asking for you to let him take your place. Let him cover you up. And all you have to do is say yes. Right now you can just tell God that you know that you are a sinner. You know that you have messed up and that you can't fix it yourself and you need him, you need his son to fix it for you. And if you do that, if you make a decision like that, please let us know. We'd love to celebrate with you. We'd love to help you in this new journey that you're taking with Jesus. One of the best journeys you'll take in your life. Um, and the hope is that you do do that today. Um, the second thing I want to say is for us that are Christ followers, I feel it's important to say that when we become Christ followers, we, we're given, so to speak, new clothes to wear. Uh, as Jesus clothes us with himself, he makes us a new creation. And so we should look and act differently than we did before. Uh, Jesus le uh, leads us to live as he did in his life. And so we got to be willing to face uh, not what we think about our choices in our lives, but what he thinks about them how he judges them, what he thinks is right in that situation by his standards. And we're not going to be perfect with this. We're still going to make mistakes. We're still going to sin. We're going to still fall short in a lot of areas. But the difference now is we don't need to hide anymore. We don't need to hide our flaws, our sins. We don't need to do that anymore because we're covered by him. We just need to confess. We need to turn back to him. And he is faithful to forgive us and help us move forward. We have to be willing to be authentic, to be real with people, not just for ourselves, but for others as well. 
Because as I've heard said before, we may be the only Jesus that people ever see. So how we live our lives is super, super important. If we want people to believe what the Bible says about Jesus and who he was in this life, then we have to live a certain way. If we're saying that Jesus didn't come to judge, then we can't be judgmental people. If we're saying he was generous and sacrificial, then we have to be that as well. And if we want to have people believe that God loves this world, then we have to be loving as well. We need to be a group of people that when we interact with other people in our lives, they would say, if no one told me that they love me today, I know that they do. And that means so much if we can live that way and people know that. And so let's take communion. And when we take communion, I imagine it to be uh, this, this time of sitting down at this table with Jesus. Uh, and we're sitting there exposed fully who we are, but yet feeling loved and cared for. It's a table of patience, uh, a table of forgiveness and acceptance, a table of love. And so I see Jesus taking some bread and saying, here, take this. This is my body that I that was broken for you. And take this, this juice, which represents my blood that I shed for you. You don't have to worry any longer. I got you covered. So let's take the bread, which again symbolizes his body being broken for us. And let's take the juice, which represents his blood being shed. And let's pray. Heavenly Father, this, this is not an easy teaching. Um, it's uh, one that's challenging and one that's convicting. But Lord, we just pray that you would have whatever it is that you want us to hear in this message, that it be clear as day in our hearts and our minds. Lord, help us to be light and salt in this world. Help us to live a life that's uh, worthy of the calling which we've been called. Uh, Lord, help those who are not uh, at this point um, walking with you. Lord, help them to make that choice today. Help them to move uh, forward in their relationship with you. Lord, everything that we are, everything that we do, uh, we submit to you. Uh, knowing that you love us and that you are always willing to pick us up. Lord, I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, everyone. Uh, good to see you here again and hope to see you again soon uh, when everything comes back to normal. Take care and love you guys. Thanks for joining us for church today. We are so glad that you came. We hope you found it helpful to join in on the chat, uh, focus on God, and spend time learning together. We believe that church is not just a building, and it's certainly not just a Sunday thing. We want to become more like Jesus every day. And there are a couple things that we can do to help us grow in that journey with Jesus. One being our Next Steps email. If you are already on our email list, you'll be receiving that shortly. If not, um, it will be posted on the Facebook page in just a little bit. This email has 
steps um, for questions to ask yourself and others, as well as prayers to pray throughout the week and activities. Um, it's a great tool to continue that journey of what we've already been talking about this week. Another thing that you can do, our leaders would love to know how we can help you take whatever next step you're ready for. Um, you can fill out the connect card, which is at the top of the screen at any time, and let us know any questions, prayer requests, anything we can help you with. We would love to um, come alongside you in that. Um, also, like I said, church is not just a building. It's a community of people and we want to be here for each other. So if anything come up, comes up in your week, please let us know. Do not hesitate to connect with us. We would love to hear from you, pray with you, and help in whatever way we can. So we hope to see you next week. Join us at 10.30 for our service. Um, if you want to get on a little bit earlier at 10.10, we'll have a chat going with some fun questions to get to know each other. And we hope to see you there. Have a great week.